morning. Good to see all of you again. So we are making our way through a sermon series, as Ryan mentioned, on the Lord's Prayer. We're calling it Teach Us to Pray. This is the request that the disciples offered to Jesus. Hey, we see you doing prayer on your own. You've invited us to pray with you. We would really like to learn how to pray like you pray, Jesus. So we've been going line by line through the Lord's Prayer, which you may have heard growing up. You may not have. But the Lord's Prayer, you can find it in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus giving his disciples a framework for prayer. It's, it's a way to pray. It's not the only way to pray, but it's an important way to pray because it's what Jesus offered, and it gives us themes and ideas that are really important to get our hearts around, such as this week's focus, which is forgive us our debts. The New Living Translation puts it this way, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Debt and sin. I actually am going to use this more for our discussion today because I think debt is a little abstract for most of us. Most of us think of debt as something that we can handle. Most of us think of debt as something that we can manage. You've heard of servicing the debt. You've heard of different ways that debt can be used to build a portfolio or to help fund a capital campaign or something like that. Our country uses debt. We have a national deficit, right? Like, debt can be a tool, but there is nothing that is really tool-worthy when we talk about sin. Sin is something that really creates this weight and this brokenness all throughout our world, and we need to be able to deal with it. And so I think that's part of what I want us to connect this to as we talk about prayer this morning. How we need to wrestle with sin, how we need to offer sin to God as we pray— lest we find ourselves in a situation like the parable that we're going to talk about this morning. When we sin, we're basically going away from the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What we say when we sin is, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I want my will to be done. I want my way of things to occur in our world. And there can be good things about that, but the logical conclusion of your desires and my desires is never going to be care and concern for others or taking care of the poor or ministering to people on the margins. The care and concern of my own heart is only going to lead back to me. And we just have to be able to assess that honestly, and the gospel gives us the freedom to do that. So what we're going to look at today is the way that Jesus uses a parable to teach us about debt, about sin, and a way for us to deploy prayer into that. One of the themes that I want us to kind of come back to, and kids, you can help me with this today, is that when we receive forgiveness, we can give forgiveness. So you see what I did with my hands just there? Everybody do that. Kind of hold one hand up like this. Have your other hand here. When we receive forgiveness, you're receiving it from God. You can give forgiveness. This is like a handshake with someone where you are greeting them, where you are giving them the gift of your presence. When we receive forgiveness, we can give forgiveness. I'm going to need y'all's help because we're going to come back to that theme a couple of different times in our sermon this morning. So here's your outline, your roadmap. Here's where we're going. We're going to talk about the debt that is owed, and then a disposable gift is part two. And then finally in part three, we'll talk about the freedom of forgiveness. So where do we get into this? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read through portions of Matthew 18, and then we're going to teach on it and read through it and teach on it. So we'll kind of go back and forth. Matthew 18, by the way, is, I think, one of the most instructive ethical passages in all of the New Testament. Matthew includes it in a section of his gospel where he's talking about life in the church, 
life among the people of God. And guess what? He doesn't paint it as sunshine and roses. He paints it as complicated and difficult. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, or Matthew chapter 18, is some of the best instruction you'll find anywhere on how to handle conflict. It's designed to be employed in the church, but I think you can apply what Matthew writes about conflict anywhere in your life. Now, Matthew 18, 23 is the beginning of a parable called the unmerciful servant. And remember, this is in the context of how do we do life together in the church? How do we love each other? How do we care for one another? By the way, this is part of what the witness of the church should be to people outside the church. Does the world outside the church need help navigating conflict? Does the world outside the church need the witness of people who follow Jesus to say, you know what, we don't always have to escalate our conflicts into the Twitter sphere. We don't always have to take our conflicts and just drive them straight toward the heart. No, instead we can work through things. We can honor one another in the midst of conflict. This is part of your calling if you call the church your home. If you believe you belong to the church, you belong to a group of people who take this part of Jesus' teaching seriously. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus follows this teaching about forgiveness and about how to approach conflict with this very important parable about the unmerciful servant. He's just been asked by Peter, hey, Jesus, what's the limit of forgiveness? Remember he asked Peter, Peter asked Jesus, uh, how many times should I forgive someone? Which is part of the problem. (laughs) Like, it's kind of the how far is too far question, right? Like, Jesus says to him, you should always be forgiving people. You should continually put yourself in this position. And then he elaborates by going into this parable. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, this this reality that is partially here, but that is coming and that we get to help manifest and bring to life in the church. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. So, now we're into the story. There is a king. This king rules over a country, a territory. There are people who work for this king, servants. Uh, Lesson number one, don't borrow money from your boss. Bad idea. Like, just don't even go there. Stay out of those waters, right? Jesus goes on. In the process of calling these servants to him to settle their debts, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. This translation is actually more gentle. The direct Greek translation uses a term that refers to a year's wages. So picture in your mind, one year's salary, all your benefits, all the things, the package, the thing that you signed on your offer letter. Okay, picture that. What the original Greek refers to is that number, that box, times 200,000 lifetimes. So the total amount of money that you and I could make in our lifetime, multiply that by 200,000. That's how much this servant owed his king. This guy's bad with money. This guy should not be your financial advisor. If he taps you on the shoulder and says, let's go to Vegas, you say, no thank you. This is not someone that you want to emulate in any way. So Jesus goes on. He couldn't pay. Yeah, no kidding he couldn't pay. Who can pay 200,000 years of salary? I can't. You probably can't, I'm guessing. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. You could sell somebody to pay off debt? They could go to jail to have to pay off debt? Yes. A lot of these practices continued into the medieval era. Debtors' prisons right? You've heard of these things in your history classes. These still exist in the world, by the way. And there's elements of our penal system that still, I think, take a little bit of this into consideration, not in a good way. 
So we have met a servant who is in debt. We have met a king who has been gracious to him to a degree to loan him money. And he owes more money than he could ever possibly repay. He wants this forgiveness, but it's not quite there yet. There's still a gap between what he needs and what he's actually going to be able to receive. So let's continue as we talk about the gift that is abandoned. This is an example of how much money he owed. Just a crazy amount of money. Let's continue. Follow along with me in Matthew 18. The man fell down before his master, before the king, and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with anger, rage, retribution. No. The king in this story is a good king. And in your story and my story, there is a good king. And the good king is filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. That word for pity in the Greek, that's the same word that we studied in January when we did our sermon series on compassion. Jesus' compassion. We looked at all these examples of how Jesus extends compassion, how he comes beside people and says, I actually am going to move towards you. I will reorder and reorganize my life so that I can come beside you in your suffering and in your pain, not in a patriarchal way, but in a way that says, you need to be free, and I care about your freedom. Then his master was filled with compassion for this servant. Not what he deserved. Not what he has earned. He didn't have dirt on the king, as far as we can tell. The king is under no obligation to do this for him. Dale Bruner, a Bible teacher and a scholar that I really love, says this, the servant gets infinitely more than he asks. Think about this. He asked for patience. Don't make me pay this debt. Give me a minute. Give me, give me a couple days. I'll get you the money. He asked for patience, and he got the chance to repay his debt. And then he got amnesty and complete remission of debt. It all went away. If you've had a cancer diagnosis, you long to hear the words, it's in remission. It's in defeat. It's running away from you. He got a forgiveness that he had not dared request. I have talked to so many people over the years that when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the forgiveness that Jesus offers to them, they say words around these words, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. There are things that I believe I cannot be forgiven for. I hear that inside the church. I hear that outside the church. It takes a pretty honest self-assessment to be able to admit to that, does it not? But look at that last line. He, this servant, who had not done anything to deserve this, he got a forgiveness that he had not dared request. Have you dared to request of our king a forgiveness that would blow your mind? Have you dared to ask for a forgiveness for the darkest parts of your life that you would say, no one should ever see that, that should never be admissible in court, this should not see the light of day, and yet God looks at you tenderly and compassionately, just like this king does, and says... I'll forgive it and more. I'll forgive it. I'll set you free. And more than that, I'll give you a life that's worth living. I'll set you free. Not just from the sin that you can name, but the addiction that you cannot cognate. I will set you free. I'll go beyond what you've asked of me. What kind of God does that? 
Who, who in the world could conceive of a message this good? And yet, this is the gospel. This is the truth. This is what Jesus died for. But we are so quick to forget this. How quick? I'll show you how quick. Watch this. But when the man, the servant, left the king, he's just received this incredible gift. The weight is off his shoulders. His cancer's in remission. He's free. What does he go do? Does he throw a party? Does he celebrate? Oh no. He went to a fellow servant, a colleague, someone at the same level as him, who owed him a few thousand dollars. A pittance compared to 200,000 lifetimes of income. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. (laughs) Who is this guy? Who does this? Grab someone by the throat? Shake them down Sicilian style? Are you kidding me? How can we get to this place? How is this possible? He's just been forgiven. Like, if you've been forgiven by your spouse or by a sibling or by a colleague, you, you carry that. That sets you free for a time. It gives you a levity and a joy, does it not? Oh, how quick we are to forget. Actually, in our day, how quick we are to be distracted. To have our attention drawn elsewhere. An economist recently observed that we are no longer in the information age. Information is no longer sort of the the capital of our time. The capital of our time, church, is attention. Your attention, my attention, our focus. Would that we be the kind of people who when we receive this great gift, that it changes us forever. But instead, all of us, and I'm guilty of this too, the glowing rectangle in your pocket, the screen hanging up at the restaurant, the constant chatter of this new thing, or have you heard about this, or did you use ChatGPT to write the email, all the things constantly vying for our attention. Someone told me I should use ChatGPT to write a sermon. I'm thinking about it. Thinking about it. This is not good to live in an age of distraction, but it is where we find ourselves. This servant choked out his fellow servant. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Do these words sound familiar? They're almost identical to the words that this servant said to the king. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Come on, man. He pleaded with him, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. He has received forgiveness, church, but he's not given it. His hand has not yet extended the forgiveness that he has been given. This is not good. Dale Bruner summarizes it this way, the less we appreciate the king's forgiveness, the less we will forgive the less you and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, appreciate the King's forgiveness, the less we will forgive others. The less we will forgive ourselves. Our world, people outside the church, people who don't know about the Gospel, they don't know the King's forgiveness. They don't know that they can be set free from their pain and their shame and their distress. And so, of course, we live in an unmerciful, unforgiving place. 
Of course people are canceled. Of course people are written off for having a public failing. And I get all of that, but the people who follow Jesus Christ, we got to live differently. we got to live differently because we get this first part. We appreciate. We have received the forgiveness of the King. And so we should be first and foremost in our forgiveness of others. Why do you think Jesus included this in the parable? In the, in the prayer, excuse me, in the Lord's Prayer. He could have touched on all kinds of things. He touches on amazing subjects like the kingdom of God and daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. He talks about the will of God. But why touch on forgiveness? Why say this? Why does he continue at the end of the passage, at the end of this section of Matthew 6, and say, if you do not forgive, watch out. This is going to be a problem for you. I think he does this. This forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us because he knows our hearts. And if you don't see some of your heart in the heart of this unmerciful servant, I would love to have a conversation about that. Because I've been convicted all week long about how much of my heart is like his heart. Quick to receive forgiveness? Oh, thank you, God. And so slow, so unwilling to give it to others. That's my story. How about yours? This is a warning that has been echoed all throughout Scripture, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Whenever we hear things like, follow your heart, trust your heart, listen to your heart, yes, but be careful. This servant's heart is what Jesus is using this parable to open up. It's not about how much money he owed. It's not even about his physical actions toward another human being, although that's a problem. It is that his heart has tricked him into thinking that he doesn't need to extend forgiveness to anybody else. Let's go on a little bit. When some of the other servants saw this, this guy was dumb enough to do this in public, choke out the other servant, right? Like, not a good move anyways. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They felt that pinch of injustice. They went, this isn't right. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Uh Uh-oh, do you hear the hammer starting to fall? Then the king called in the man he'd forgiven, and he said, oof, these are hard words, you evil servant. I am so disappointed. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't you finish what I started? Shouldn't you complete this gospel cycle of receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness? It's a rhetorical question, but we know the answer. Yes, yes. But he doesn't. You had this given to you, and you blew it. Final line from Dale Bruner. The parable does not ask onerous, unheard-of tasks or toilsome duties of the forgiven man. In other words, this servant who received this forgiveness, he's not told to you know, go beat himself up or wear sackcloth and ashes or do any of these other things. He is simply given freedom. It's simply asked that forgiveness received be forgiveness conveyed. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've received the forgiveness of Jesus, how are you doing at extending it to others? Years ago, I was having a conversation with someone in our family, 
a person older than me who had kind of raised their kids, they're a little further along in life, and this person started to tell me about a basketball team that one of their children had been on. So think like youth basketball, like playing around in the middle school gym, all that. And this person shared with me that there was a coach on that team that had been mean to their child. Right? It's something that we've seen. But the way this person described observing the injustice of this coach being mean to their kid, their body changed as they described it to me. Their muscles got tight. Their fists clenched. Their teeth got gritted. I could see the color change in their face. You could almost hear the boom, 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 boom of their heart rate going up. You know this. You've been in the room with someone when they are visibly becoming upset in front of you. It happens. It's normal. It's human. I'm not knocking that, but what was evident in this person's dialogue with me was that they had not and were not going to forgive that coach. That was 20 years ago. And to have that physiological reaction tells you something. And followers of Jesus Christ, we got to pay attention to that. We must pay attention when our bodies tell us this is a problem. Do you see this? Do you feel how much stress this is causing for you? How your cortisol just spiked? How your adrenaline is running? Do you feel this? These are the gifts God gives to us so that we can know when we are awry, when we have made a mistake. But will we pay attention? Not if we're distracted by the screen over there. Not if we've got yard work to run off and go do. Not if we've got this, that, or the other pulling us, compelling us to move on from the truth that we have received forgiveness, but we've not done very well at extending it to others. And you know this. If you do not forgive others, it is a poison in your heart. And you can't take it out by yourself. Every one of us has people that we have not forgiven. If you have not, I would invite you to reflect as we turn toward prayer in just a little while to think about who might create that kind of reaction in you, where you just feel it in your body, this tension. What'd they do to you? What did you do to them? Do you want God to help you with that? How's it going for you to not forgive? How long ago was it? Are you okay with continuing to sort of mine that deep and dark pit? Here's the point. Jesus takes forgiveness seriously. He says this, I alluded to this earlier, at the end of this section on the Lord's Prayer. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wait, what about the Gospel? What about the goodness? What about grace? What about this? Well, hold on. Jesus' forgiveness, we cannot tear down. But what we can ignore is how forgiveness and a lack of forgiveness chews us up inside ruins our hearts, breaks down our relationships, makes us unable to enter into healthy relationships. So what do we do with all this? 
One of my favorite resources is the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you know it or maybe have a copy at home? There's copies on the back table. Please take one if you would like. The Jesus Storybook Bible is a summary, a colloquial description or colloquial translation of different parts of the Bible, Jesus' teachings and his life and his ministry. It's wonderful. And it's designed for kids, but it's not for kids. Like, if you read it and you're a follower of Jesus and you don't cry, like, I would love to talk to you because I cry every time I read it. This is how the Jesus Storybook Bible translates this part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. This is the heart of what we're going to do today, guys. We're going to take time and pray for forgiveness. And we're going to take time and pray that we might be people who extend that forgiveness to others. We're going to pray that we can do this. Right? Do this with me. As we receive forgiveness, we're able to extend it. We're going to close that gap. And the way to do that is through prayer. This is not about manifesting a bunch of spiritual strength. This is simply about saying to God, as the prayer says, Lord, I know I have done wrong, and I need your forgiveness. This is what we practice when we practice confession. And then we need to work this out with others. So I invite you to consider these prompts. Maybe this is something you need to do as we turn our attention to prayer in just a moment, or that you just need to do on your own. But who in your life will call you out for this first part? Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting God, for going against the will of God. Where is that visible? Is that all in the dark? It's in the dark for most of us. But can you admit that to God? Can you say, God, please, just help me. Can you come to God with the earnestness that the servant did? Please forgive me. And then he will meet you with even more than what you imagine. And the second encouragement in prayer is to say, I need to forgive some people. And maybe this is the first thing that you need to do. To crack the nut of your own heart, maybe you need to start by forgiving someone else. You need to forgive someone who posted something that offended you. You need to forgive someone who directed something hateful towards you. You need to forgive someone that you had a miscommunication with. You need to forgive your old boss for being such a tyrant. If you've been through divorce, I know this is hard. Some of my dearest friends have been through divorce, but can you take a step toward forgiveness, toward your former spouse, toward the brokenness in that relationship? Can you? This is between you and the Lord. I'm just here to ask the questions. We're going to turn our attention now to a time of prayer, and we're going to pray in groups. And the reason we do this is because we believe we can really build up and strengthen our community together. We believe that with kids in the room, we can model some prayer options for kids that make sense to them, kind of show them that this is something we can do together. So I'll invite you in just a sec to get into a group of no more than five or six people. If you have a family, you want to bring your family with you, great. Team up with another family. We want to make sure that kids and adults have opportunity to pray as they want to. And if you're new or if this is kind of a new thing for you and you're like, I'm not comfortable praying with a group of people, just listen. Just, just be a part of it. Just listen. That is totally fine. You'll have the opportunity to pray through some of the prayer requests that were written today. We mentioned this at the beginning of the service so that it's not a gotcha, no one's surprised. But we believe that as a church, we can pray for each other. So with these prayer requests, you can pray, you can use it and just read it straight off of the card. That is a totally faithful way to pray. 
You can use your own words to pray over it. That's fine too. If you've been stirred by something in today's message and you're like, I got to pray about this. Great. Do that. If you need to do that with just one or two other people because praying in a group doesn't feel quite right, doesn't feel safe, that's fine. Use your wisdom. We're adults. We can do this. But my encouragement is to get into these groups, uh, meet me up here, pick a leader from your group. I'll hand you a couple of these prayer request slips. These will just be handed out at random. And then you'll take a couple minutes in your group to pray for the requests that are written down. I believe we can do this as an act of love and service for one another in devotion to Jesus Christ. So would you join me as we pray over the rest of our worship? Jesus, thank you so much for the chance to pray. We ask that as we turn our attention out of praying in groups that you would be glorified, that it would both build up our fellowship but also strengthen our ability to connect and love and serve one another. Um, We lift these prayers up to you and we ask that you would hear them and receive them and meet every need in your way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.